0: Well, good morning, everyone. Do keep your Bibles open there at Luke 4. We'll be looking at that uh, together. And uh, some of the uh, verses will come up, of course, on the screen. Uh, Let's bow our heads. I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word spoken, your word written down, your word read, and your word implanted in our hearts by your spirit. Do that work wonderfully in us now, we pray. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, uh, no doubt uh, you'll be reminded during our news and updates that Christianity Explored starts tomorrow night, the first night of four weeks for this term. Uh, And you will have heard me say before, talking about Christianity Explored, uh, why I love it. Uh, Because with all the baggage people attach to Jesus and attach to Christianity, it really cuts through to show you who Jesus is and why he's so important. Now a major way that Christianity Explored does that is by reading through Mark's gospel. Uh, What we've seen over the last few weeks as we've been reading uh, Luke 1 to 9 is that Mark doesn't have a monopoly uh, on clear and cut through. because Luke's gospel has been doing the same thing, getting to the heart of who Jesus is and what he came to do. The same is true today. Uh, as Evan read, uh, chapter 4 from verse 14, but extraordinarily, in this case, we see Jesus himself being crystal clear on who he is and what he came to do so that you and I, can be crystal clear as well. Let me set the scene uh, because this is the beginning of the next phase uh, of Jesus' public life after his baptism, after the temptations in the wilderness that he did not give in to. And verses 14 to 15 set the scene not just for this chapter but for quite a few chapters to come. And what we learn is is that Jesus is moving around Galilee and he's teaching in the synagogues, and news about him is spreading among the towns and villages he hadn't been to, as well of course as those he had. And the people, it's reported, the people who heard of him praised him. You know, this is like a politician's dream, isn't it? Great press. The other thing I should say at this point, just uh, just to uh, be clear on what it is, is a synagogue is a Jewish uh, community hall. You know, the place where people would gather on their day off from work on the Sabbath or seventh day to hear God's word and respond to it. It's just like we are in this auditorium. Anyway, having seen, having got the bigger picture, Jesus arrives at his hometown of Nazareth. Uh, where he'd grown up, where people would have known him. And again, Sabbath day, Saturday for Jews, and the one who has rapidly become so famous is given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah to read. And what does he do when it's handed to him? Well, he deliberately turns it to a particular place, to what we now know as Isaiah 61 from verse 1, and he reads it as we pick up in verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now it's pretty high stakes, isn't it? Him reading that, the news about him spread as it has, and you can feel the excitement, feel the tension in the room as people are thinking, what will he say next? What does this mean? What is God about to do? And then Jesus speaks in verse 21 and he says, "'Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing.'" As the young people would say, mic drop. Well, what is Jesus saying? Uh, to them then, as with us today, he's saying, he's saying he is the servant of the Lord that Isaiah promised. Uh, the one who, after two-thirds of Isaiah's book, majors on God's judgment on Israel for turning away from him, This servant is pictured in the last third as an instrument of hope. Uh, As we heard in our Isaiah 42 reading, it's it's chapters 40 to uh, the mid 60s that this takes place. And what we hear is that this servant is one who would suffer, but also one who would be on the front foot of bringing God's great plans to their climax. And look how this servant is described. Like Jesus at his baptism, spirit anointed. And here's his job description. He will proclaim good news to the poor. He will announce freedom for the prisoners. He will bring a message of recovery of sight for the blind and freedom for the oppressed. Now, the people in the synagogue that day, they would have or should have been familiar with both this passage and those pictures, because they'd heard them before. They were pictures of Israel, the Israel who had experienced the great liberation from Egypt at the Exodus, and yet yet in their sin had turned away from God. They were poor. Because they'd abandoned the riches of serving God. They were prisoners to sin, to their own sin and the devil's lies. And they were blind. Blind to the depth and breadth of judgment that stood between them and God. And Jesus arrives and says, I'm here with an announcement for you. Good news. Uh, Remember, good news, gospel, same thing. Good news, your poverty, your imprisonment, your blindness can be reversed. It can be taken away. How good is that? And yet there is another way that people today uh, read this passage uh, and other times that the poor come up. I mentioned in Luke when... They don't see it, the people who read this in another way, don't see it in terms of people's spiritual condition that's being talked about here, but primarily their material condition. Uh, It has a name, it is called, for what it's worth, liberation theology, and what it says is Jesus and his gospel came for the materially poor, uh, that he came to liberate them from their poverty, that what he's on about is economic economic. There's a word that I have to practice at home economic uh, empowerment. The question you've got to ask yourself, though, is does that do justice to Luke's gospel? And does it do justice to the Old Testament that came before, where this very language originates? I don't think it does. Though, of course, Jesus' gospel is wonderfully available to the poor. As also to everyone. Uh, Do uh, give it some thought yourself as we keep reading in Luke. Now, in light of what Jesus says, what is the reaction of the people? Remember, Nazareth, it's Jesus' hometown. Well, in the first place, they spoke well of him. They were amazed at his gracious words, gracious words about a gracious gospel. But then there's those words, isn't this Joseph's son? Uh, It's a question, but it reveals the sort of questions they have in mind. Uh, What unfolds reminds me of that proverb, uh, familiarity breeds contempt. Uh, And you could imagine them thinking, uh, in fact, Jesus knows they are thinking, who do you think you are? You know, you're no better than us. You're one of us, for goodness sake. Or they might be thinking, I knew you when you were knee-high to a grasshopper. Uh, Where did you get these delusions of grandeur from? And you might have wondered... Why does Jesus say what he says next? That was certainly a question in my mind when I read this passage. He seems to be stirring up a hornet's nest by sort of responding in any way. Their question about Joseph's son, it could have gone either way. It could have been positive. It could have been negative. But what we see, and of course, Jesus' words reveal their hearts. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And Jesus is reflecting, I take it, that they think they deserve something from him. That they deserve to receive uh, some of his miracles. That he should do for them, for his own people, what he's done in the neighbouring villages for other people. But in telling the episodes from the prophets Elijah and Elisha's time, which is one of the darkest times in Israel's history, Jesus is saying Israel, those prophets' own people, they didn't experience the kindness of God in those times that are recounted there like the widow of Sidon did or Naaman the Syrian, two people and places outside of Israel. Because God's own people's hearts were hard. They'd experienced the goodness of God and yet they'd tossed it back in his face and at that time only deserved the judgment of God. Now, do you think the people of Nazareth understood what Jesus was getting at? I think they did. Read from verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. In God's law, the law of, uh, that the Jews would have kept, you could stone someone for blasphemy, for speaking untruthfully about God. Uh, but that's not what's going on here. Now they want to kill him because of their ferocious anger the sort of anger that says you can't say that to us and to make sure you never do again again we'll kill you it's a sobering thought isn't it where of course nazareth had a unique place in god's plans and purposes as the hometown of jesus uh, we know, don't we, uh, that plenty don't respond to Jesus and his gospel now as it has gone to the whole world. People don't respond in the way you'd expect they would to such extraordinary news as the news we are hearing here. Jesus expects people to receive it humbly. Really, that's the only way you can accept it, humbly and with thankfulness and joy And many of us have. But some aren't interested. Some are apathetic. And some, like in his hometown, are downright hostile. And aren't aren't our reactions to things driven most by how we react, well, in this case, to the message that Jesus brings about ourselves? Uh, Nobody likes being told what's wrong with them. I reckon this is one of those times you can say, Put your hands up if you like being told what's wrong with you, and you can all keep your arms folded. When Jesus points at our hearts and judges them wanting, what's your response to hearing that without Jesus you are poor before God? That you are imprisoned in sin? And that you are blind and oppressed. God's word to us this morning invites us to humbly acknowledge that these are true of us rather than furious denial. Now both Nazareth and Capernaum are towns in the region of Galilee, the region around the Sea of Galilee which is sort of the northern half of, uh, of Israel and actually having set the scene in verses 14 and 15 it appears Luke decided to retell the episode of what happened in Nazareth before Capernaum even though from the conversation in Nazareth it's likely he was in Capernaum first. That's not uncommon in the Gospels about Jesus, for the writers to arrange the events in a particular way in order to make a point, uh, perhaps in a different order to the way they happen. But so far, really what we've heard is just an announcement. It's hopeful, it's a hopeful announcement, but it's still just a message. And so from verse 31, we come to Capernaum, And we see with it the power of Jesus' proclamation. Sabbath day again. uh, He's in the synagogue. He's teaching the people. What's their reaction? Verse 32. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. They were amazed. His words had authority. Oh, and in case... In case the question arises for you, what was he teaching? I expect he was teaching uh, what lined up with what we read earlier from Isaiah 61 of God's good news, of the reversal of sin that Jesus came to bring. And it's like in Nazareth, isn't it? Uh, We're told several times here that the people were amazed. Uh, And there is Uh, uh, There it was with the gracious words from Jesus' lips in the first place, but here too there's a new element, the man possessed by an impure spirit. He's there with Jesus and the others in the synagogue and he has an extraordinary reaction as well. As the impure spirit speaks uh, through the man's mouth, it tries to command Jesus. All right, verse 34, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Uh, Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But did you see who commands whom? Verse 35, be quiet, Jesus said sternly. It's the idea of being rebuked that stands there in the description. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And it really shows who is in charge of whom, whose words have real power. And if his words have power in this situation and he's speaking words of good news to the poor. Well, put the two together. Even as the Spirit comes out, the man who has been affected is not injured in Jesus' kindness. And you have to conclude Jesus' answer to that Spirit's question, have you come to destroy us, is very much an answer yes. Yes. The way Jesus frees the man is a pretty clear sign of what he plans to do with these spirits. Indeed, what he plans to do with sin and judgment for all who will trust him. And finally, just uh, before we move on from this episode, there's the name. The name with which he is addressed as the Holy One of God. We saw last week that Jesus was fully human, but... Uh, As we hear him called the Holy One of God, there's a significant overlap with with the way God himself is described in the Old Testament as the Holy One. And here is Jesus doing what only God himself can do in the same way God himself would do it, teaching with authority, and rebuking impure spirits with that same authority. Now, Jesus spends the rest of the day in Capernaum uh, and it only gives more weight to any assessment of his authority. But this time, uh, instead of rebuking the spirit, this time Jesus rebukes a dangerous illness and it leaves the person and they're healed. That person is the disciple Peter's mother-in-law. So you can imagine Jesus uh, there in the town, in the synagogue with uh, everyone gathered and and starting to join the dots with what happened there, Simon or someone else who knows them asks Jesus to help Simon's mother-in-law. And remember here, uh, we deal with fevers all the time, don't we? Uh, And they're usually not a big issue. We've had a lot more experience in the last two and a half years of dealing with fevers, haven't we? Uh, Take some Panadol, take some Nurofen, take them regularly and your temperature will go down. But the reason for doing that is a fever is very dangerous. Uh, As your body shuts down from having a fever, you can even die from it. So Jesus here, like he rebuked the unclean spirit and showed his rule over it, here he does the same with sickness. And shows his authority to reverse it. In such a way that these great reversals line up with the coming of the good news, the the day of the Lord's favour that we've talked about already. Well, it's no surprise that news gets out. Trending at the moment in in Galilee, you know, hashtag Jesus can heal. Uh, And the townsfolk bring their sick and their demon-possessed to have Jesus make them well again by the authority of his word and the power of God himself. And so we're in no doubt as to who he is. It's reported even here in the words of the demons, verse 34, you are the Holy One of God. Verse 41, you are the Son of God. Verse 41, Jesus rebuked them because he knew that he was the Messiah, God's King. And so this uh, second part of Luke chapter 4 builds on the foundation that we read last week, where last week we saw Jesus is the Son of God, one of us, so that he can make the necessary sacrifice for our sin, but also unlike us, fully faithful to God, so that his sacrifice could benefit all of us. And what else uh, we must see here as it's been built on today is the promises of God from old, of old, of his chosen king, of a servant who would suffer, of God himself visiting his people, all intersecting on the Lord Jesus But there is one last episode to cover, uh, and extraordinarily important. We didn't read it, uh, but you know, let me catch you up. Uh, even after the heady day of driving out uh, demons and healing on the Sabbath, it's there from verse 42. At daybreak the next day, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Uh, it's not hard to imagine why they wanted to keep him uh, in Capernaum, is it? Uh, keep Jesus around and we can be sickness free. Uh, no more demons. Uh, continually we'll be amazed at his teaching. And so you can imagine them. Well, in fact, in my head I have sort of pictures of, you know, those fan, you know, the Beatles arriving in Sydney and the people going wild or something more modern than 50 years ago. Uh, But you can see them saying, don't leave us. You can even imagine them trying to block his path. But how does Jesus answer? Verse 43. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. Because that is why I was sent. And he kept preaching in the synagogues of Judea. As In the beginning, at the great uh, uh, announcement in Nazareth, his priority is proclamation. Proclaiming good news to the spiritually poor. Gossiping that the long promised time of the Lord's favour has come. And that's extraordinary because Jesus healed the sick. He relieved people of their evil spirits. He could do that. And yet, proclaiming the good news was more important. As time passed, Jesus would reveal more of what was to happen to him, of his suffering, that he would ultimately suffer death itself and wonderfully rise again. But what does this word from God today show us about Jesus and what is most important to him? About what we should have shape. Uh, our hearts as to what is most important to us as well people need to hear the gospel they need to hear the lord jesus proclaimed we need it more than to be healed need it more than economic liberation Not that those things can't be a part of people's experience too, but life is full of making choices, of prioritising one thing over another. Again, not necessarily one ruling out the other, but rather them taking their appropriate weight, of choosing the best from among the good. And as Jesus prioritised gospel preaching on the other side of the cross from us, so as he instructed his disciples on this side of the cross, they prioritised it as well. Preaching it wonderfully, not just to Israel, but to the ends of the earth, as far away as we are here today, as Jesus commanded them at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. In Luke's second volume, that's what Acts is, uh, 1, verse 8, But you will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, the disciples, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it might surprise you to hear that we live in the same times as them. Even though they're 2,000 years ago, have you ever heard us talk about we are living in the second to last chapter uh, of God's great plans. Uh, what we mean when we say that is that there are a number of chapters that unfold in God's plan to save people. Uh, and this one began when Jesus rose from the dead. The second last one began at that point. The last one begins when Jesus returns. And so whether it's the disciples 2,000 years ago or us today, we together live in the second last to last chapter of God's great history. They have may, may have been eyewitnesses to Jesus and what he did, but we live with them in these last days of the proclamation of the kingdom of God. And as we've heard it, maybe one time, maybe many times, as people who've humbly received it and entrusted our lives to Jesus, we need to keep hearing it. If you ever thought about why preaching, preaching proclamation, is such a central part of what we do in our time together as a church, this is the reason. It is the most important thing and everybody needs to hear it. Now, preaching or proclamation is not limited to what we do here in church. You don't have to get up the front and wave your arms around to proclaim Jesus. You can do that in conversations. You can do it in your homes. You can do it with friends and workmates. But what we need to do is keep living out our humility and trust in the one who came with good news for those of us in poverty. We need to remember that this is the most important thing that God is doing in the world, that is happening in the world. He is gathering a people for himself. He is making we who were poor rich is setting the imprisoned free, giving blind people sight. (laughs) What we must never do is be selfish about Jesus and his gospel. Wouldn't that be unloving to others? Uh, To not long with Jesus that others would hear this gospel. Or (laughs) that we should want to twist God's arm to have him focus on healing us from sickness Sickness or giving us other comforts where our self centered concerns trump uh, his concern for others' eternal salvation. And so we have our part to play wonderfully as Jesus, by his Spirit, he uses us in his service. Uh, to continue to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, sometimes individually, sometimes in groups, sometimes together as a church. And so what I'm not going to say at this point is to put your arm up your back, uh, as you would expect, expect the preacher to do at this uh, point and say every conversation you have has to land on Jesus. Jesus. We have responsibilities, don't we, to look after ourselves or our households, to be diligent at work, to love our neighbours as ourselves. Proclaiming the gospel and those things aren't mutually exclusive. That our time must be given to one or the other. No, they both have their place. But left to ourselves, our human condition is to err towards what's right in front of us now, what's before my face, rather than the promise of what's yet to come. Don't let that be you. Let's not let that be us. Where we have this incredible privilege, in whichever way the Lord engages us to serve, to play our part, in this second to last chapter of God's great story, Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Let me lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for what you foreshadowed and what Jesus wonderfully fulfilled. A clarity of purpose. The purpose for his life of coming into our world and taking on human life in order that he might proclaim your good news, the year of the Lord's favour, freedom uh, for the imprisoned, riches for the impoverished. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you understand us well enough that indeed this is a message to each of us, that you offer it to us again and remind us of your goodness to us. And so we pray that by your spirit you would continue to do Jesus' great work of proclaiming him and using us as instruments in that great endeavour in your service. Amen.